0: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series, Women of the C-Suite, where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and I join you with my co-host, the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup.
1: In this series, we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. My name is Peggy Northrup, I'm the CEO of Watermark, and I'm so thrilled to welcome a very special person in our community, Shelly Archambault. Now, she's very well known to many of you as a role model and a pioneer. She's also known to us in the Watermark community as someone who served on our board for, I think it was 10 years, isn't that right, Shelly? Yeah, at least 10. ten. <laughs> at least. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. And you've been so generous with your time with the Watermark community. And I know many people around around feel the same way about you. You've mentored them and given them advice. And now we get to read about the advice you've given in your book, hear about that advice. So just a little background on you for those of you who don't know. um, Shelley is formerly an executive at IBM, CMO at two public companies. She was recruited to be the CEO of what was then a struggling. Uh, Silicon Valley startup and is now under her leadership became MetricStream, a global leader in governance and compliance software. She currently serves as a Fortune 500 board member and her new book is just published. It's called Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms." So welcome, Shelly. So great to have you here.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Peggy. I've been looking forward
1: to this. This will be fun. Great. Well, I want to ask you, first of all, why did you write the book, but also talk about the title. As you and I were talking earlier, I remember what it was like to have to apologize for being an ambitious woman. And obviously you had the same experience. So talk a little bit about that. Certainly. So
0: first, why I wrote the book. I, uh, it's funny, I'm very goal-oriented. Some of you in the audience I'm sure know know that, but being an author was never a goal, actually. What happened was I've tried throughout my career to be accessible. You know, I respond, emails, LinkedIn, tweets, you know, whatever, I really try to respond. And what was happening is I got more and more responsibility in my career. I couldn't meet with everyone one-on-one that wanted to meet with me. And I said, okay, because it was just killing me. I want to be helpful. So I said, you know what? One day, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down so that I can share the strategies, the approaches, what worked, the tactics, et cetera, that I used and what didn't work uh, for others to be able to leverage and capitalize on. Because by doing it as a book, I can actually share it more at scale. So that's why I wrote it. The title, well, it's interesting, because I had the entire book written and no title. And I'm thinking, ah, I know I want ambition in the title because just like you said, Peggy, you know, I was called ambitious many times and not always a compliment. And I always thought that was just crazy, just ridiculous. So I know ambition, but the unapologetic part, you know, two things happened really. One was in conversation with friends. I made the comment, we were talking about apologizing. And I made the comment, I said, you know, I feel like women are raised from birth to apologize because we apologize, not just at 10% or 5% of the time when we actually done something wrong, but the other 90 to 95% of the time, it's to make the rest of the world feel better. It's to show empathy, that we care, we understand smooth feathers, ease tensions. You know, We use, I'm sorry, kind of like salt. You know, Mm -hmm. you just sprinkle it on everything. It makes everything taste better. Well, same thing with, I'm sorry. And then my daughter wrote a piece when she, after she graduated from college, she was being considered for recognition at a university. And she wrote this piece. And at the end of it, she basically said that she is proud to be ambitious and unapologetic, right? And I thought, you know, that's it. That's it. Unapologetically ambitious. That's what I'm going to call it because everyone deserves to be ambitious
1: and no one, no one should have to apologize for it. Great, great. It's such a wonderful message, and especially now when so many women are dropping out of the workforce. I read today, the statistic was 865,000 women dropped out of the workforce in September, yeah. and it's it's heartbreaking to realize that so many women are being set back. Talk a little bit about what, what would you say to women at this at this juncture in history? You know, it's, first of all, it's hard.
0: It's, it's just flat out really hard, especially women who are working, who have families, who have younger kids that are not self-sufficient. Right now, this moment in time is very difficult. So what I'd say is I understand in terms of what's happening, but I'd sure like to see people and companies right and support be able to figure out how do we support our way through this because it's not good for anyone for people to drop out of the workforce that actually want to be working and contributing it's not good for anyone businesses talk all the time about a talent shortage and then look right in terms of look what's happening so one of the things that we all need to make sure that we're that we're doing it and leveraging is just realizing we tend to be the ones that want to make sure that everything is happening and everything is getting done, um, whether it's at work or it's at home, you know, etc. And it's also figuring out how to how to both delegate, how to let things go, um, and how to get help and pull others in. And during times of COVID, this is really hard. So I wish I had here's the the magic wand, right, to make it all better. I don't. I can acknowledge it's hard. Um, I can encourage people to think about how they can share in that broader burden if you are at home with kids and husband, etc. Um, because it's not fair that it falls all on one person. And
1: so one person has to figure out how to handle it. But yeah, no magic wand. No magic wand. It's hard. We'll talk about marrying well later on because I really related to that part of your book. But I want to start back at the beginning and. A lot of people take twists and turns in their career. I certainly did. It's like I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do at different points in my career and I often just responded to opportunities. You seem to me to draw a straight line on a piece of paper and then set out on that line and just, you know, drive drive toward it. So, is that an accurate or fair? I mean, you made a decision about what you wanted to do at an extraordinarily young age.
0: I did. You know, Peggy, it was very clear to me early, very, very early in my life that the odds were not in my favor, frankly, to get anything that I wanted, that the world really didn't think much about this little black girl, Shelly Um, and they certainly didn't care whether I turned in anything or not. Now, fortunately, my parents did, but the world itself, no. So I knew that if I just did what everybody else did, I wasn't going to get much. So I had to figure out how to improve my odds. And I learned that being intentional, you know, setting a goal, figuring out what I want to do, and then strategizing, okay, how do I make this happen? How do I improve the odds that I can actually accomplish this or actually do this? That that it worked. It worked to improve my odds. And so I've lived that way my, my whole life. And being goal-oriented, it just gives me something to focus on. So when I was 16, you're right. I was young, but when I was 16, I had that obligatory conversation with the guidance counselor, you know, junior year, have the conversation. So, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, okay, I know I want to go to college and then I want to get a job. Okay, what kind of job? Honestly, I didn't know. I just wanted a job that paid well enough to keep the thermostat at 72 because my house never went above 68 in the wintertime. Could go below, but never above. Um, And I want to be able to eat out at restaurants and travel, right? These were things that were kind of beyond my reach. So that's what I wanted. And she said, well, what do you like to do? And I give her huge credit. I said, oh, clubs, I'm in the American Field Service and French Club, National Honor Society. I'm even a Girl Scout, but don't tell anybody, right? Um, So I was in everything, but I really enjoyed leading them. And she said, well, you know, clubs, business, kind of the same thing, pull people together, common mission, go make things happen. And I said, done. I like running clubs, I like running a business. I looked up, they're called CEOs. I'm going to be a CEO. It was literally that simple, audacious, and naive, all at the same time. But now I had a goal. So okay, here's the goal. I'm going to go run a big club, right, in terms of a company. and. And Then I just started building plans to figure out, okay, how do I make that happen? How do I improve the odds? Right. What needs to what needs to be true <laughs> to make that happen? And that's what led me.
1: You had a wonderful story in your book about researching when you got out of college and you had researched where did the CEOs at IBM tend to come from? Yes. And you found out that they came from sales. And what? your colleagues at school, your schoolmates were saying, Well, that doesn't fit you know, you should go to Wall Street or, or I don't know what plans they might have had for you, but you were really on that path. You knew what it took. So, but you were bucking a trend among your, among your schoolmates, right? Oh, absolutely,
0: Peggy. I mean, I was coming out of Wharton and, you know, yeah, Wharton, you know, best business I did undergrad, undergrad Wharton, so best business undergraduate school. And yeah, my friends were going off to Wall Street to become investment bankers or international financiers or Procter & Gamble product managers. I mean, all these sexy, great titles that I'm going to go sell computers, right? With a Wharton degree? Are you crazy? Um, But, you know, I'm a big believer in doing my homework. And the homework said, every single CEO started out in sales. So therefore, it must be the path to power. That must be the current, right? That takes you in the right direction. So, I mean, did I love sales? Who knew? Um, But that was the job that made sense, given what I wanted to get done. So that's why I, I did it. And yes, I did a lot of things. And I made a lot of decisions in my life that people didn't think I should do. But here's the key, just to share. Nobody knows you better than you know you. So, yes, listen, you know, listen, here, analyze, consider. All those things are absolutely important. But at the end of the day, nobody knows you better than you. So
1: it's OK to trust you. Such great, such great advice. So I have to bring up a story that really, um, it, I have to confess, it made me laugh a little bit. You were 19 <laughs> years old and you were buying yourself a winter coat. I mean, this is how much of a planner Shelly is. Shelly, would you tell the story of the winter coat that you bought when you were nineteen? <laughs> uh, sure. So here's here's how it goes. I know I was I was really crazy.
0: Um, so I had this plan. All right. I'm I'm nineteen. I'm now I think a sophomore, and I need a new winter coat. Okay. Well, how long should a winter a good winter coat last? Because I came from very modest means, so it wasn't a matter of changing for style. I mean, how long should it just last? You don't replace things till they die. And so I figured, OK, she lost, I mean, six, seven years. Yeah, good winter coat. Um, and then I was like, all right, so what's my plan? Because I always tried to make decisions consistent with my plan. Not that I knew it was all going to happen, but I kind of assumed that it would. And that way, I made decisions consistent with it to help make sure that when they did happen, things would all work out. So my plan was I wanted, to, of course, to graduate. But I wanted to get married one day, and I also wanted to have children. And I'd rather do both sooner than later. So within six to seven years, I'd like to be married and pregnant. So therefore, I bought a coat that I could wear when I was pregnant. So instead of buying, I went to the outlets. Instead of buying the time, pea coats, the nice fitted, double buttoned kind of thing. Those were all the style and rage. I bought a swing coat, double breasted, you know, a couple big buttons. But then it just hangs loose right down at the bottom. And when I came back and showed my roommate, she was kind of like, well, okay, you know, it's nice, but it's not very stylish. And I said, I know, but I wanted to buy a coat that I could wear when I'm pregnant, and this should work. And she looks at me like, what? She goes, Shelly, pregnant? You don't even have a steady boyfriend. What are you talking about? I said, I know, but that's, that's what I want to happen, so I'm making that decision. Well, <laughs> fast forward, I did wear that coat when I was pregnant. Mm So, and, you know, but making decisions consistent with your plan is something that really drives the power. You know, a lot of people set goals and some people make plans to achieve the goals, but very few people make decisions consistent with their plans. And I found that's where there is just so much power because when you do, you're always thinking therefore about where you're heading, where you're going, you get to visualize it and it becomes therefore real, not just something that's kind of out there. So that worked for
1: me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, not everything always went according to plan. Oh, yeah. You had some pivots in your career, too. Can you talk about some of the big pivots that you've had to make? Certainly. So I joined IBM with the idea of I'm going to go be
0: CEO of IBM. Well, Peggy didn't say I was CEO of IBM in my resume. So no, I didn't become CEO of IBM. I tried hard though, spent 14 years, 14 years at IBM. And in 14 years, I rose through the ranks. I got to the point where I was running a multi-billion dollar division. My boss reported to Lou Gerstner, the CEO. There wasn't anyone higher than me in the company that looked like me. I mean, I, I had done really, really, really well, frankly. But it wasn't clear. It really wasn't clear that I was actually going to have a shot at becoming CEO. A couple of things happened. One, over the years, you know, they really, I didn't feel were paying me what is is fair or at least commensurate with what others that were doing my same job, right, made. And that was something I always talked about, but I never really got fixed or felt satisfied. And then two, just a couple of major slights. I talk about it in the book in terms of happened. And so my husband and I talked about it. And it's like, you know, it was a hard decision. I'm wearing blue today, but if you cut me, I felt like I bled blue. I worked for IBM part-time while I was in college, right? I then worked for IBM full-time from my start. I mean, I, you could almost say I grew up in IBM. All my friends were IBMers. I would moved all around the world for this company and I'm gonna leave? I could have stayed. I could have stayed and had a great career as a senior executive, which I'm confident. I mean, 14 years, another 14, I'm sure I would have. Done, you know, very well. But I, I just didn't see CEO, and that was the goal. So I made the hard decision to actually leave.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is such a, I think that's a, such a hard thing for women to get to in their careers when you feel as though you've hit that, you've hit as you, you're, you've gone as far as you can go where you are, and as much as, as comfortable as you are. And like you say, you have friends, you have the support network, you have a community. Picking up and moving is not an easy thing, but you were fueled by that. That's your goal. Exactly. That's right. And it wasn't just, you know,
0: mine at that point, it was our goal. Um, You know, my husband and I were definitely partners
1: in life. So it was our goal. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, do you feel like you have a superpower that is behind all of this? It's like the one quality, the one skill, the one aptitude that you can always rely on. Mm.
0: You know, if there's, I actually have two and the two are courage and discipline. And frankly, I wasn't born with either one. <laughs> so I'm a big believer that you can actually develop your superpower. I think superpowers are kind of like muscles, right? Yes, we've all got muscles and they're all kind of at some stage or other. But if you really start working a particular muscle, you get pretty strong. And I think the same was with superpowers. So, you know, courage was something I wasn't born with. But because of how I grew up and some of the things that happened to me when I was younger, which I do talk about in the book, uh, you know, I had to learn to I had to be it was forced to be courageous initially, you know, unwittingly, but I was forced to do that. And then I kind of realized that, you know, being showing courage, other people actually respect it. So I said, all right. And I actually started actively working to develop it. So I put myself in, you know, in situations, I made deals with myself. Okay, I'm gonna be the one to raise the hand. I'm gonna be the one to ask the question. I'm gonna be the one to step forward, right? I'm gonna be all these things that are uncomfortable, I just made this deal with myself that I am going to be that one so that I can build up this courage muscle. And it has absolutely served me well. I mean, I will tell you now on the, I serve on fortune 500 boards and one of the positive feedbacks that I get when we do all those evaluations is the courage that I bring to the boardroom because I will in a very in the appropriate way, but I will raise the topics right. I will step forward first. I will, I continue to do that. So that's one. And then the other around discipline, no, I was a total procrastinator when I was young and, um, I learned on discipline. I'm very competitive. And therefore I want to win. Everything's a game. I want to win. So to drive discipline, I just tell people what I'm going to do. And when I tell people I'm going to do, well, I'm not going to like not do it now. So if there's something that I needed to make sure, right, that I stay on top of, et cetera, I would just tell people. And it became this peer pressure that then caused me to to do it. And then in time, you just learn, okay, fine. You know, I got this whole discipline thing down. But but yes, I kind of psyched myself out.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. It's such a great way of thinking about it, too, I think, where you're developing micro habits that turn into the big habit that's how real behavior change happens. It's like you've got to practice, practice in those small ways. That's such great advice for younger women as well. So have your ideas about leadership changed over your life and particularly at a time like this where we are all, we're taking a big pause or someone said, mother nature has given us all a timeout. We we'll take some time out. We're looking around at the way we treat one another and we're getting a chance to reflect on that. Have your ideas about leadership changed either over time or recently? Mm,
0: you know, they have not changed recently. They definitely over time. Oh, absolutely. They've evolved over time. Um, but I would tell you the same elements that I think are important to leadership are, are even more important now. I believe the best leaders Are leaders who actually show they care. You know, people people want to know that somebody cares about them, and this is true at home, in the community, as well as at work. We we don't we're still the same person, right? No matter which place we happen to be. And at home, you want to know that your spouse or your partner or your kids or your parent, whoever it is you're you're with, that they actually care about you. Our feelings get hurt the most when we feel like somebody doesn't care, right, about us. Well, you know what? Same is true at work. When people feel like, gosh, you really don't care, then why does it matter? Then what am I bothering for, right? So caring is something that is important and it's even more important now because if you care, that means you're actually gonna take the time to have a little empathy. You know, I think empathy is an important piece as well. So it's caring, it's empathy. And then, yes, is it all those other things, the ability to actually set a vision, to communicate clearly, right, to drive a strategy, to manage all those things? Absolutely. But I find that people who do all of those really well and don't care and don't have empathy over time, they don't do very well. Whereas people who have these two and do these, I find those are the ones that end up really being the stellar, the stellar leaders, so that's why I talk about those those two. It's like the other things, yeah, table stakes. But those two elements really set you apart. And it's particularly important when people are going through very challenging
1: times, which we all are right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is I fell in love with your husband reading that book. I just fell in love with him. And you're, you talk about the support that you get at home. You talked about the fact that you had a plan. You made sure that your husband was on board with your plan right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women expect that they're going to be able to negotiate that stuff later in the marriage. And then it turns out that they cannot. So can you talk a little bit about what you've learned from that experience? Yeah.
0: So here's, you know, and here's, it goes back to the goal setting. So the, here's the questions I ask myself. When I set a goal or I want something to happen, I say, okay, here's what I want to happen. So what has to be true for this to happen? And then how do I make it true? So I'm like, okay, I want to be CEO. I want to get married and I want to have a long-term marriage. I'd like to have kids, right? So I had these things here, are all the goals. Okay. So what has to be true? Well, to do all those things, I need to have a husband who actually has the same vision as I do for me becoming CEO, wanting to have kids, right? You know, all those things. But I also need a husband who's very independent um, and who is comfortable and willing to support some of the flexibility and things that I think I'm going to need. So I said, all right, if that's the case, then I need to talk about all those things before I actually decide to marry anybody. And I did, you know, as my, as my husband, as my husband and I, I literally had a list as my husband and I got, and not before we got engaged, before we got engaged is before we're getting serious. So you kind of start to feel it. All right, we're getting close. It's going to happen. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, But the one thing we hadn't talked about was the whole jaw care thing. And so here we are sitting in the car outside, we'd finished our, you know, date and whatever we're going to do, he's dropping me off. And we had a sat down and had a conversation, which we tended to do. We always sit there, he would pull up, we'd sit, we'd talk. And then, um, and I said, you know, we've, we've talked about kids and I'd like to have kids. And he said, yes, you know, I'd like to have kids too. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, my mother was a stay-at-home mom and uh, I would be willing to make the trade-off and the hard choices for someone to eventually stay home with the kids to enable that. Um, and he said, hmm. he said, oh, okay, I, I could see that. And I said, I just don't want that person to be me. And then I shut up, right? And (laughs) it was really funny because he's like, oh, 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 right? As he's thinking about what this actually means. And I'm I'm silent. I'm just sitting there. It's like, okay, like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is this going to work? And finally, he says, well, you know, I like to work. I've been working since I was 12 years old. And he pauses again, he's thinking, and he says, but I could do that for you. I said, okay, then. And he asked me to marry him three weeks later. <laughs> so, you know, it, what we learn in, in business, you know, later, um, is all about setting expectations, Right. And the importance of having a common vision and a common set of goals for a company, so everybody's pulling in the same direction. Well, you know, the same thing is absolutely true and necessary at home. It really is. And, you know, it's never too late to have the conversations, whether it might be maybe too late in terms of having kids and the whole bit. But as we look at our career and phases in life and whatever, it's still important to have, so what do we see for the future, mm-hmm. right? What do we see in terms of, hey, retirement or phase two or next steps, and what do we want to do? Because so many people, they don't have all those conversations, and the visions are different, and then it becomes a challenge. So develop a common vision and then work toward it together.
1: As a as the woman who um, has my husband does all the shopping and all the cooking, and I'm the one who he volunteered to be in the uh, the school um, uh, uh, parent, the fourth grade parent. And I would be the one where if I'm supposed to bring cupcakes to the school picnic, I have pizza ordered. <laughs> so I really, I read about you and Scotty and I thought that was the role model I needed. That was exactly what I was trying to do. I wasn't quite as upfront about it, but that was the way it turned out. Mm-hmm. So my trick was just, he makes me a piece of toast and I say, that was the best piece of toast I have ever eaten. <laughs> like all that positive reinforcement gets you more, more fanciful toast and then eventually <laughs> dinner. So <laughs> um, so I wonder if you could talk, I know that there are some young women on the call today and many of them are being mentored right now. Can you talk a little bit about mentorship and whether it's things that you wish you'd known when you were younger, or whether it's how to recruit mentors and sponsors inside whatever company you're in, what what should your expectations be as a young woman in business looking up to someone like you? Mm. So first, I would tell you,
0: I learned I learned so so much about mentoring early. I got i got really really lucky. Matter uh, of fact, I'll just tell the story. I IBM. I said, IBM, I'm six years into the, the business and IBM's decided that they want people who have high potential to have mentors, but they're going to do it a little differently. They want to let ask them who they want their mentors to be. So I got asked, who do you want your mentor to be? And I said, oh, thought about it. And I picked a gentleman by the name of Roland Harris, a couple levels above me. I knew him. I thought he liked me. So I thought, okay, that should work. Well, a few days later, it's Roland. Hi, Roland. Shelly. I'm like, yeah. He goes, Shelly, you put my name down to be your mentor. And I'm like, well, yeah, Roland, I thought you liked me. And he says, Shelly, you've got me go get somebody else. And I'm like, Oh, so I learned a bunch of things in that one short phone call. One mentor mentee relationship doesn't even have to be formal. Two, I may have more mentors than I realize. And three, I can have as many as I want. And literally the rest of my career was all about adopting mentors all over the place. I never asked people to be my mentor because at first I started doing that and that didn't work. Um, So I said, you know what, I'm just going to start treating them like a mentor. And I talk about in the book exactly how to do this, but basically I adopted them. And so over time, People I adopted would then start claiming me and next thing you know, you're kind of off, off to the races. So mentors, I think, are very important. But let me just share a perspective. A lot of people think of mentors as helping you figure out your career, you know, next steps and what do you do next. But honestly, mentors can also help you do the job you already have. And you can't move forward until you nail the job you've got. So find mentors to do that. Because rarely, rarely, do you actually get a job that nobody else has done before? And therefore, go find the people who have done it, whether they're at your company, and in your industry, or in a different industry. Doesn't matter. Why not start out on first base versus home plate?
1: Right. And that, of course, is true at any point in your career, right? And for those of us who have made big career shifts or moved across country or, you know, you don't have to be a young woman looking for mentors. You can be somebody like me who is... Switch from for profit to not for profit, and realize, oh, I have to figure this whole new thing out. <laughs> Who do I know? And uh, luckily, uh, having those people on your Rolodex and having that community around you is 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 that's your net worth, right? And it's like all those connections that you make.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let me just talk about the networking piece for a minute, um, especially since we have people of all stages of their career. But a network is not how many names you have in your contact list on your phone, right? It's not how many people you've got in a database. A network to me, I'm giving you my definition, but a network to me are the people that you can reach out to who will actually help you when it's not convenient. And in order to get that kind of a network, I found the best way to do it is to be a giver, is to share, offer to help support others. Because in essence, you have to develop a relationship. It's not this transactional thing of, okay, I do this for you, so you do this for me, and I do that for you. No, it's not that at all. It needs to be a genuine relationship because you're not going to go out of your way for somebody that you don't feel you actually have a relationship with. You're busy. Everybody's busy. So to create this network, which everyone should focus on, really is about giving of yourself to
1: others. And I've found that actually helps me create the network. Right. And I think the other thing that you you talk about, you've talked about... Empathy. You've talked about leading with by showing people that you care, but there's also this kind of vulnerability. And I love that you do this so much in the book. You talk about the times when you felt like an imposter. You talk about the times when you felt like, I can't get up and do this another day. I'm really, really tired. You talked about, you know, hard decisions that you had to make and helping a struggling company get back on its feet. And I think it's so important for people to realize that it's not just plugging numbers into into a, a calculator and then out comes the result. There is a lot of there's struggle. There's there are days when it's not going well. There are and and sharing those kinds of stories I think is so important. And that really helps us be more human with one yes, another.
0: Absolutely. And and Peggy, it was very, very conscious because I found that so many books, you know, it makes it look like, oh, I did step one, step two, I had a little hurdle, went around that step three, four, and boom I did it. And it just sounds so easy. Mm-hmm. Life is hard. Okay. Life is hard. And, I'm, and my concern is all these people make it look easy. And then when you actually feel that it's hard, you hit a point where it's like, oh my God, it's just too hard. And because it's hard for me and it's easy for everybody else, then obviously it's me. And maybe I'm just not cut out for it. Right. You talk yourself into this whole thing. No, no, no. Keep going. It is hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Get help get support, but keep going. Because all of us, and I don't care whether people said it was easy or didn't. I'm just telling you right now, it's not easy. Life is not easy. But that doesn't mean that it's not doable. It is absolutely doable. You just have to have the right intention, the right support, right? Know how to ask for help. I mean, all of those things, and that's why I wanted to talk about it from that perspective in the book. So you could say, hey, this is what real life is.
1: Yeah. Well, you really, that really does come across. And I think it makes it so much more valuable. It's also a compulsively readable book for everybody on the call. It is really, I just sat down and my husband said, Do you want to watch something? It's like, no, I'm reading this really great book. Go away. We'll talk about this later. <laughs>
0: So we're
1: starting to get some, we're starting to get some questions and I do want to get to those. There's one more thing that I want to ask you about. And that is, do you have another mountain that you want to climb personally or professionally? I mean, book writing was not on your list. (laughs) So is there something else that you is put on your list recently? Yeah.
0: You know, so it's, it's interesting. Um, Yeah, I have actually, after the whole George um, Floyd piece and everything that's awakened with regards to racial justice, I asked myself, okay, so what am I going to do about this? You know, what am am I going to do about this? Because I'm a believer of put up or shut up. but I'm like, okay, well, I decided I wanted to focus on police harassment. Um, How do we improve the relationship between police and especially um, communities of color with regards to the harassment and lack of respect and things like that that can go on? So, um, so I'm doing some things. I'm now an advisor to Forbes Ignite, and we've got a whole initiative on this. As a matter of fact, I'll be posting some stuff um, later tonight on LinkedIn to share information about it. I've got a pilot project that I'm working on kind of here in San Jose. And so that's, I'm, so that's a new thing that I've added. But longer term, I'm at the stage now, I've been telling Universe for 40 years what it is that I want and what it is that I need. Because I believe if you don't tell the universe, the universe can't help you. So I've been telling the universe, here's what I want and here's what I need. Now I'm at the stage where for the first time, I'm basically saying, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm waiting for the universe to tell me what it needs from me. What can I do? and What can I offer that is needed and unique or different and or my skill set makes
1: it special in some way. So stay tuned. We'll see. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. Well, I wish you luck in that terrific project and would love to figure out how we can help. Um, So let me go to some of the questions that are coming in. This is exciting. We've got another, let's see, we've got at least another 20 minutes and we can keep going. Let me see if I can call up the Q&A. Oh, here's a good one. From Kira Ridding, how do you navigate showing strength versus being edgy? Uh-huh. Okay. Um,
0: there's also questions in the chat, by the way, too, Peggy. Um, with, yes. regard, yeah, with regards to how do you show strength and being edgy? Um, I don't know if I consider myself edgy, uh, but I do think, you know, showing strength is, is a couple of things for me. Showing strength is showing fortitude. It is kind of not, you know, not letting people see you sweat you know, people, I've always focused on trying to be a, a good leader and people want to follow people they feel are confident, and know where they're going and know what they're doing. So if you're showing a lot of, I have no idea what's happening and I have no idea what's going then people are, as comfortable, <laughs> right? So it's being able to kind of push all those things through, but showing strength is also for me tied to courage. You know, it's, it's willing to do the right thing. Even when a lot of people are saying that's not what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and or willing to say no to something that could be great, but you don't feel is right. So all of those things are showing strength. With regards to being edgy, um, I would call that if that is part of who you are, then it's all about learning how to leverage that as an asset as as you move forward and as you execute.
1: Right. Because often edgy is a judgment, like ambitious is a judgment on people rather than a quality that you have. It's just somebody flips that switch yeah, for you. Yeah.
0: exactly. And just, and just one more point on that whole, I'll call it judgment thing. Only you should decide what you're going to allow yourself to be judged on. All right. You have your sets of values. You have your reality. Nobody else knows your reality. And nobody else knows what your values are so as long as you make decisions consistent with your your values and your reality don't let people judge you on something that's their value or their reality you know my mother used to always say you can't control what people say you can't control what they do but you can control how you respond mm-hmm. and on this one don't respond all right and, a, and a, just a quick story because this is one that you know it's this whole that's part what makes it so hard for us, we feel so, especially women, we feel so judged on so many fronts. So the key is just letting go some of those areas that honestly, okay, you can judge me, but that's not what's important to me. I have a picture on the wall to this day that just reflects that point. When my daughter was born, she had thick curly hair. I mean, really, really thick. And the only way to handle it really was you brush, you comb, you braid it tight, right? Good. Well, my husband, My husband was six foot two, former football player, big hands. Had he ever braided little girl's hair? No, but I wasn't going to braid it all the time. So he had to learn how to do it. Well, how do you learn how to do it? By doing it. Well, the first few months that Scotty is braiding Kathleen's hair, she goes to school with her hair pretty jacked up. I mean, it is what it is. Now, I know for a fact that there were women out there looking at this little girl, thinking, where is her mother? You know, what kind of household does she come from? Look how they let her out of the house looking like that, right? I know there were. Did it bother me? Not in one little bit, not one little bit. In a couple months, Scotty got really good. Everything looked fine. We were good to go. The picture on the wall, one day he did her hair, and it was picture day. So she he was supposed, he was trying to do two braids, pin one on top, pin the other, make a little crown, you know, with bobby pins. By the time the picture time came, she had one braid <laughs> stuck, the other braid hanging down and unraveling. OK, <laughs> snap, smile, and she's smiling, snap. Well, it's on the wall. Why is it on the wall? It's been on the wall since the picture was taken. Because that picture, that photo, that hair thing, has that impacted anything? No. She's an amazing woman today doing well, self-confidence. It changed nothing. Absolutely nothing. So only judge, only let yourself be judged and accept judgment on things that you value and you define based upon your reality. The rest of it, let it go. They don't know you. They don't know
1: your reality. Such great advice. Such great advice. Let me um, go into some of the chat questions now too. Um, let's say, oh, here's someone who asks, I've built a network within my department, but what would be a great way to connect to departments that I don't often interact with? I am hearing this these kinds of questions a lot as we are so much in this, this remote world where you might just see your, the one person that you interact with. There's no running into somebody at the water cooler because we've left the water coolers back at the office. So what do you think at this point? What do you, what do you recommend for people?
0: Mm. So you're right. We're not running into people like we used to, but I am finding that more companies are actually having more frequent all hands or, or sending out, you know, more frequent, like just call it newsletters, updates. They're actually trying to pick up on the communications. So leverage those meaning something gets highlighted a project gets highlighted or a person gets highlighted or somebody mentioned use that as an excuse hey send a note hey peggy hey congrats on ba 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 i heard that was talked about and such and such we'd love to hear more about what you're doing maybe i can be helpful all right it's it's literally just trying to create opportunities based on information that is shared Okay, you hear about a different, you know, function or group that's discussed, and you remember, I, ain't know, I need somebody in that group, All right? I used to see them from time to time. Perfect excuse to reach out. Hey, just saw you guys got highlighted. Da 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 da. How's it going? What are you doing these days? You know, let me share what we're doing. It's so find excuses, but they're out there. They're out there, but find excuses just to reach out and and touch people and then figure out is there a way to, to help or support you know share what your group is doing everybody is in this like vacuum and most people are craving more right information inside about what's happening broadly so you can play that role
1: right and i love the fact that it's instead of asking for help you're asking how can i help and that's a that is a, such a great uh, uh, an opportunity for people to feel grateful to you you know and vice versa wonderful um Another question is like how um let's see here. Oh, here's another question very much on this. It's like can you talk about the importance of having sponsors? Um because clearly the rooms where you're maybe being talked about for a promotion, you're not necessarily in those rooms. So you need to have somebody who can talk about you in a way that you would like to present yourself. So how do you navigate that?
0: Yeah. So mentors, you can adopt. Sponsors, it's different. You can't go up to somebody and say, hey, listen, I want you to support me and give me a you know, promotion and open doors for me. And, do, and I, I don't say I you can actually do that. But I do find that many times mentors can turn into sponsors they've gotten to know you, they've seen what, you've, what you're able to do, you've proven, right, your ability to grow, etc. So mentors can totally turn into sponsors. Um, you know, the other is looking for ways to engage in things that are cross-organizational so that you can actually create some visibility for yourself. Um, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. So uh, a young man uh, that I know, uh, he was recently hired into a new company right during COVID. So he hasn't actually met people in the company, right? You're, you're starting and the whole bit. Well, one of the things that he did is he started writing um, basically this, this blog, call it this newsletter, making posts um, out there that talked about, hey, starting a new job during COVID. Mm-hmm. And just putting in here, thing. but you know what? People started reading this thing. And it became then something, even though he was doing it on LinkedIn, right? Coworkers found it, he mentioned it the whole, and you know what? He's got, got a lot more visibility. People reach out, they comment. When they comment, he sees the name that company. out, oh, it's my company. He'll reach out to people. So, you know, there are interesting ways. You just have to be a little creative on, on how you can actually increase visibility for yourself within your company. I'm telling you right now, people crave communications about what's going on. Is there a way to fill that? Gap in a way that is helpful. For instance, even if it's a periodic, you know, once a month, once every two weeks, something, you just kind of write out, take it on yourself or your team or your group to actually put out a hey, here's an update. Thought it'd be helpful if everybody see in one place what's going on. Thought I would share it. Right? Again, you are offering to be helpful, but at the same time, you're putting your name out there. So You just have to be a little creative, figure out what are some holes that you can fill that will increase your visibility that people may take notice from. Mm -hmm. But sponsorship and getting sponsors is really around people, number one, noticing you, which is why it's good. Mentors can become sponsors. Um, And then two, believing that you have potential because they see performance, initiative, attitude, right? All those things.
1: Right, right. Here's a here's a wonderful question from uh, somebody at SheCan, which is an organization I'm involved with that has uh, young women um, being educated in the United States. They come from post-conflict countries. They come from Rwanda, Cambodia, Liberia, and they are here to learn from all of us, which is wonderful. And the question here is, how do you think that those of us who have achieved success can help more women get over the barriers that we still face in a lot of professions? I love that question.
0: Hmm. I think we need to share more. I think it's really helpful when people see and get a chance to witness how we've overcome it, how we've handled it, how we did it. You know, it's, it's sharing those, those lessons, those experiences, what worked, what didn't. So figuring out ways to share. I don't mean everybody has to go write a book, but we have so many mediums these days between podcasts and blogs and you know LinkedIn posts and tweets and whatever. But I really think a lot of it is just sharing because so many people feel that what they are experiencing right then, right then, is somehow unique to them. Right? Oh, this is how do I deal with this? What? Do, I mean, they feel alone. The more that they see of oh wait so-and-so, oh, and so, and oh, right. And I mean, it just helps you realize that, okay, this is not you. It's kind of like imposter syndrome. You know, I tell people all the time, imposter syndrome, it's not real. Okay. And the reason I say it's not real is studies have shown that just about everybody experiences it. Women more than men and people of color more and women of color the most. So the fact that everybody has, it says it's not personal, it's not you. It's environmental. It's in the air. It's kind of like television. Everybody has a television, and we see a lot of stuff on TV. And we know, we know that it's not real. It looks real. It sounds real. At times, it feels real, scares you to death, right? It upsets you. All, all that emotion stuff, it'll pull through. But at the end of the day, it's not real. This little imposter syndrome thing, it's not real either. So if we can put out more of how we've handled things and what we've done, then I think people can see that, oh, it's not just me. It actually is broadly, and suddenly I can separate myself from it. Right.
1: A related question that came in on that, and I think that's so important. Is if everybody's got the syndrome, then that's just normal, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, but um, one of our questioners is saying, it's like, how do you choose – just a real tip on how do you choose not to be reactive in moments? We all have these moments where we feel defensive, angry, threatened, annoyed. And sometimes we say we got to keep it together. How do you, how do you, but you also need to be able to push back at times. You need to, to figure out what that line is for yourself. Do you have any advice for people? It's such a, such a great thing to, to, to great. master. Uh, I it's, it's a great question. I'll
0: tell you, You know, growing up, uh, I went to elementary school in the 60s. So 60s were a very challenging time. It was very racially charged for as many people that wanted civil rights. You had just as many people that really didn't. Um, And so as a result, a lot of stuff happened to me. And my mother was really very clear. You know, what she would say is, don't let them win. And what she meant by don't let them win is, yeah, people can do stuff. People can say stuff, the whole bit they only win if they dictate how you feel if you let them win if you feel badly about yourself because of what they've said if you doubt yourself because of something you know they've done right if you get angry or you get this then they're controlling you because they're controlling your emotions and emotions win so don't let them win don't let them control your emotions so therefore, when you ask me, Peggy, you know, how do I handle that, I don't let them win. When people say things like, oh, you just got a name to the board of Verizon. Oh, I'm sure they are really pleased to be able to improve their diversity, all mm-hmm. right? I can't tell you how many times I heard stuff like, said basically like that, right? And so you can view that as, okay, they think I'm not, not qualified and I only got it because I'm a black woman, right? Taking a slot. So I can take that as, oh my gosh, right? They're undermining. They're making me feel bad because, oh, I didn't really earn it. I just whatever, right? So I can take all that. But why? That's their view. If they said it, they probably said it because they're insecure. They need to be able to justify in their own mind why you would get something like that and they wouldn't. It's not your issue. It's their issue. So just reframe things. So how do I handle it? I reframe it. That's how I handle it. I reframe it. Somebody says something and you're kind of like, okay, what's the intent behind saying it? Gosh, I feel so bad for you that you are so insecure that you're trying to make me feel bad about something that I've done. Oh my gosh. That's, that's just a shame. And then what, they, what happens? They get the smile. The, you poor person. <laughs> they get the smile. So... I try hard not to let people actually control my emotions by putting their views, their insecurities, their hostility, their whatever it might be on me. I just reframe it and flash it right back.
1: Fantastic. That's a great, great answer. Um, Another question that is coming up and we're just about, let's see, we're at 422, so we have some more time. Someone is asking, other than your daughter watching what you do, what you have done, what advice did you give her? And I think all of us with kids who are hoping that, yeah, I hope that my daughter learns stuff from me. I'm not always sure she learned the right things, but you know, it's like she's got her own life. But were there things that you told your daughter that really stuck with her and that she came back and then Told you about because I know your your relationship with your daughter was not always perfect. That's right, and I write about that in
0: the book too. That's right, yeah. I write about that in the book too. Um, but I will tell you, there's actually a whole paragraph um, about something she wrote as a young adult in her 20s that just let me know that yes, she did listen and she she learned all this stuff. So what did I so what did I tell her? Oh my gosh, I told her a bunch of things. I told her everybody's a package. There are going to be great things about them and not so great things about them. You really can't change the package. You can put a bow around it. You can put some paper around, you can do it, but the package itself, you really can't change. So pick the package that will work for you. So that was one good news is she did. She picked an amazing spouse. Um, So two, I told her people, what you will see initially when you meet people are what they want to be seen. It's, they will show how they want to be seen, right? You can't take everything at face value initially. You got to dig a little deeper to understand what people are really like. Um, so that was one. Um, another was set your own goals, be your own person. I believe in you and your judgment, you know, so you can rely on that. Um, I told her the importance of building a village of having strong relationships. Um, I told her every life is hard. (laughs) I absolutely did that. And I told her the same thing that I told, that my mom told me life is not fair. It's just a fact. Don't go looking for fairness. Just figure out what you're going to do about it. Um, man, you think about kind of over the years, what are all things I told her? Um, and I told her she can do anything that she's willing to work for and make the trade-offs for, mm-hmm. um, those That's are some of the things.
1: Great. That's great. That's just wonderful. Well, we are almost at the very, very end. There were mostly now our thank yous coming into the uh, chat, um, and a few questions that I know we're not going to have time to get to to get to all of them. But is there anything else that you would like people to know, either about you, about your success, about your point of view, or about the things? Is there something you wish you'd known earlier? <laughs> anything else that you just want to want to um, want to convey to our the assembled multitude today? Sure. I think the,
0: the biggest message in you know in all of this is you own your life. You own your career. You know, decide to be the owner, to be the leader of your own career. You know, I tell people all the time, you, you would never like pay, you know, two, three thousand dollars for an airline ticket, pack your bag, put the dog in the kennel, right? Figure out your mail hold the whole bit, go to the airport, strap yourself in with a seatbelt and then look to the pilot and say, so where are we going anyway? That's nuts. But we do it all the time with our lives. We invest tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in our education, right? We go to conferences like these. We join groups. We develop ourselves. And then we let somebody else determine what's next. Where are we going? We just wait. We just wait to get picked, right? We hope that it's going to happen. Hope is not a strategy hope it's not a strategy. Be more intentional. Decide what you want out of life, out of your career, and then go make it happen. Because you can. You have a whole lot more power than you realize. And in the book, I talk a lot about how to do that. So I hope you'll take a chance and an opportunity to actually read it or listen to it. I recorded the audio, the audible, so you'll hear my voice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shelly, thank you so, so much. This is such a great conversation and wonderful to hear, even for those of us who are not at the beginnings of our career. It's great to have the reminders of how we need to own our own power, right? Nobody owns our power, but us. Absolutely. So, uh, and it's not over. That. One last
0: thing. Oh, yes. The whole thing about career, you know, peace, they were later in the career. So I know we had some young people, we had people late in the career. You still have a lot of life ahead. Right. So figure out what you actually want with that. None of none of this ends, in my opinion. You know, it's not like you're done and okay, I'm done. Now what? No. Think about what do you want? What do you want that life to look like? What do you want to do? What do you want to impact? Right. Do some things now to get ready for it. So all of these lessons and messages work no matter what stage you are in. So anyway, that was the message I want to leave. And then lastly, I have one favor to ask the group. And that is if anything that I said was inspirational or helpful or, you know, hit a chord. I am trying to just increase awareness because we're in COVID, no book tour, no book signings, no book parties at people's homes, nothing. Um, but I'd really appreciate if you just post wherever you're whatever social media channel you use, just post, say, hey, heard Shelley. there's a book, whatever, and just tag me. I would
1: genuinely appreciate it. We will do that. Everyone on this call is going to do that, right? I've got the promise from everyone on this call that that's what we're going to go right ahead and do that. Thank you again, Shelly, so, so much. And thank you everyone for joining us for another session in Leadership Month. We have two more programs coming up next week. We have another one on friday tomorrow i'm we've done a lot of programming uh, on building teams um so please go to wearewatermark.org and look up our upcoming programs we hope to see you again soon thank you again thank you so much shelly all right thanks everybody have a great rest of your evening bye-bye thank you all so much for joining us today I'm Peggy Northrup, CEO of Watermark, and along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at wearewatermark.org. With best-in-class leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you're meant to be.